my name's Katie. Uh, my husband and I are involved in overseeing our student group that meets here on Tuesday nights. So yeah, be on the lookout, church, because we have lots of wonderful new students arriving like towards the end of September, and we want to make them really welcome. On that note, just to say, we're looking to have some places where the same sort of little group of students can go and have a meal in the same home over like one time a term, so three times over the year. So please come and chat to me if you would like to just connect with our students that way, because they really value um, friendships. Um, with others outside of them, sort of their age group. Um, today, we are actually in the last of our series on abiding, which has been wonderful. So we've been in John 15 for this summer. And every week, we've started with the passage being read, and today, Favor, who's one of our wonderful students, is going to just read it through for us as we begin. Good morning, church. So I'm going to be reading from John 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you be a fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other, as I have loved you. Greater love no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Mm. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in the, my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Wonderful, thank you. So I don't know about you, but I love the Friday nights and air show fireworks. Have people been enjoying them? 
wonderful. So last night, there were four of us, and we managed to make our way through the crowds, and we actually lay down on the beach and watched them right by the pit, and honestly, it was spectacular. What a joyful thing. Um, but for me, it was quite a contrast, because earlier in the summer, one Friday evening, Gordon had been busy, sorry, Gordon's my husband, um, had been busy helping set up things for the drumathon here, and so I ended up actually watching the fireworks on my own, and they were still beautiful, but there was something, there was like a limit on the joy, because I was watching them on my own. I wasn't sharing my delight with others and enjoying their delight. And what about at the opposite end of the spectrum? There's something about when we're going through hard times and we're sad. Isn't it good to have with you people that you love? I went through a period of time where I was really poorly and basically housebound. The one place other than hospital appointments we got to um, was to try and make it into a Sunday morning worship. And one of our friends, regardless of what time we rocked up because it was so hard to get there, would just come over to us Sunday by Sunday, give us a hug, and she used to just stand with us as we worshipped, sometimes take our hand. What a difference. What a difference to know that there's someone with us in the sadness, in the struggle. There's a famous quote by uh, a Christian called J.C. Ryle, who said that friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. And I think that's our experience. So I just want to begin by saying, as human beings, we are wired for connection. We're wired for companionship. And actually, that's because we're made in the image of a Trinitarian God. Now, I know when we all think about Trinity, it can be, we can go into panic because it is jolly, jolly difficult and we can't really get our heads around it. But I want to assure you that it's a wonderful truth because Father, Son, and Spirit have loved one another and been companions in perfect union for all eternity. So our God is utterly relational, and he always will be. And so in that we are created in his image, we find ourselves likewise designed for relationship, for companionship. And of course, we know that at the very beginning, if you turn to the very start of your Bible, you'll find that God has placed Adam and Eve in a garden in Eden, and he walks with them in the cool of the day. This perfect relationship because they were designed not for friendship with him. But that friendship's fractured and things change. They have to leave the garden. Interestingly, over the Old Testament, if you read in scripture, there's only two people explicitly described as God's friends. It's Abraham and it's Moses. Nobody else. Think of the eons of history, all the people, and yet Primarily, the people of God relate to him as servants, apart from these two. So it's literally like less than a handful who are called friends of God. And then Jesus comes and he begins his ministry and disciples follow him. Now they've been with him for three years as we pick up this passage and Siju referenced it when she was leading us so well in communion and said that they were gathered together in this upper room to share a Passover meal together. And that is where we are picking up the story. So there's five chapters that basically take place over this evening 
um, over that evening, covering that period of time, beginning with the Lord's Supper, with him washing their feet, him speaking and sharing so many truths with them, um, and eventually them being in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus being arrested. The reason so much time is given to this in the Gospels is because these moments are so important. And actually, as we remember and as was read, in communion, in that Last Supper, Jesus inaugurated a new covenant. Now, there was a moment, and we're about to read it as we look again at the verses we're focusing on today, where Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. Instead, with a sense of, but now, I have called you friends. And commentators say, given the context that this was in the context of this new covenant being inaugurated, what we're seeing is not just a shift for the disciples in the room of their relationship with Jesus becoming one of friendship, but actually what we see is a shift, an invitation to all who have come. There's actually a transition in redemption history. And now everyone who comes to Jesus is invited, not just because it doesn't supplant, not just to know him as our master and our king, but also that we can step into close friendship with Jesus. I'm going to read the verses that we're focusing on today. So it's starting at verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Now, the subject I've been asked to speak on by Tim is loving one another. And honestly, we will come to that. But if you look in verse 12, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. The very fact that he gives this commandment in a moment where he's speaking about his friendship with them makes me just feel like if we spend a bit of time thinking about the privilege it is to be befriended by Jesus, that actually we can begin to be those who then start to love in this one another in the same way. So bear with me. Um, we've got a slide coming up which just picks out a few characteristics of the relationship that we have with Jesus, our friendship with him, that I just wanna pick up on. So first of all, a confiding. Thank you. Confiding. Jesus says here in verse 15, I no longer call you servants. A servant doesn't know his master's business. I've called you friends for everything I've learned from the Father I've made known to you. Friends, close friends, um, can speak with openness and with candor. And do you know that Jesus wants to have that kind of relationship with you? I know he knows everything, so he knows about your day and your life, and in a sense, you don't need to tell him anything. He knows. But do you know what? He wants to know because you invite him into it all, because you talk with him, and you tell him, and you let him in. Do you know he doesn't just want a people who obey him and do what he says, although he does want that, 
but he actually is one who himself is looking for people with whom he can confide, with whom he can share his heart. And so the question is, will we be those who cultivate this friendship with him, who share our lives with him, and who seek his heart and seek him for himself? I asked someone recently in this congregation, what does it mean to you that Jesus is your friend? And they said, oh, lament. What they were saying, I mean, I'm sure that's not exhaustive, but they were saying there's something about the fact even with our deepest sorrows, even in our confusion, we can come to him and we can pour it all out. I did a bit of lamenting yesterday, actually. We were driving home in the car, and um, as I just started pouring some things out before the Lord, it became, you know, I want to say lamenting can look messy. In fact, my top tip would be don't lament and drive. Thankfully, Gordon was, you know, he, was, he had the steering wheel. But I'm just saying, this Lord of ours, we can come to him with everything. And he invites us into that. Secondly, I just want to make the comment that his love for us, his friendship love for us is so sacrificial. Again, as, as has already been alluded to, on the night that we are talking about where Jesus is bringing this change in their relationship with him, we have the situation where Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet. Please bear in mind that same, in fact, it's in the same chapter, I believe, that he says that Judas is about to leave and betray him. And sure enough, that is what Judas does. He also says that Peter is going to deny him. And yet Jesus sacrificially washes their feet too. Afterwards, we read in Luke's Gospel, once they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus actually says to his three closest friends, come with me, stay with me. He says this, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And what did they do? Maybe what we'd have done, they fell asleep. So even when Jesus was in his deepest hour of need, he knew what it was to have people let him down. So I wanna say that we have a friend in Jesus who knows what it is to have friends who fail you. He knows what it is to be betrayed and denied he knows what it is to have big disappointments in his friendships. And yet, in that context, he chooses to sacrificially not only wash their feet, but as we read, he says, I will lay down my life for my friends. And within hours, like the next day, we think, he's dying on the cross for them. And what reassurance that is for our hearts, because it says, well, we were still sinners. He died us. So what a friend of sacrificial love. I want to make the point as well that there is something about the way that Jesus chooses his friends. Now with friendship normally there's a mutual choosing. There needs to be a sort of ongoing mutual choosing. But Jesus says this, verse 16, you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, I know for all of us in this room, we'll have a sense of like, well, yeah, but I chose him too. Because you did, you responded to him. And John Piper puts it really helpfully. He explains it this way. He says, my choosing of Jesus is a very different kind of choosing to his initiation and his choosing. His choice of me was awakening, and it was life-giving. My choice, in contrast, 
was all response. It was trust in his commitment to me. Okay, so he has chosen you and he will keep initiating in his relationship with you. He is a pursuing friend. How wonderful, what security. And finally, I just wanna touch on this point of reciprocity. I was challenged by this. Spurgeon said, if Christ died for me, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. The reason it's important who you choose as your, as your friends is because our friends influence us. We start finding that we love what they love. We start finding we wanna go where they're going. We wanna be with them. We start to hate what they hate. And as we spend time with Jesus, things shift and things change. He's the vine, we're the branches. As the Father's love flows to him, the vine, and flows through us, the branches, there's something about the fact that the fruit that we will bear will be that of love and of obedience and of peace and joy and righteousness as we sang earlier. That's how it works as we spend time with Jesus. It shifts us, it changes us. Isn't his friendship absolutely amazing? Isn't it amazing? We've just touched on a few things. I want to talk briefly about human friendship Really briefly, time's against us. I want to say human friendship is no substitute for Jesus because every friend will from time to time let you down and he alone will never fail you. Conversely, sometimes you can get the impression that if we have Jesus, we don't need anybody else. And I would like to say that's unbiblical, that's untrue. When Adam was put in the garden, God was very pleased with his creation. And he said, it is very good. There was one thing, one thing that he said was not good, and that was that Adam was, not, was alone. He said it's not good for him to be alone. And yet, obviously, Adam was in perfect communion with the Father. No sin had entered at that point. So I want us to understand that it's part of our perfection made in the image of God that causes us not only to want to relate to him and need to relate to him, but actually also to need close relationships with one another. And they're part of his gift to us. I want to just make a very quick aside point, which is just to say, it doesn't, it's not the case that you need to be married or you need to have romance or that you need to have sex for your life to be like a fulfilled life. The world might tell us that. I would like to say that isn't what the Bible teaches. Look at the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul, look at the life of Jesus. But it does teach us that we need love and we need companionship. And friendship is amazing. So all of us, whatever our state of life, we can have the gift of friends. And it is such a gift. And I wanna encourage you, I don't really have time to talk about human friendship today, but I just wanna encourage you, invest in friendships. Become, don't be looking for a better friend necessarily, become a better friend as you learn from the one who models it amazingly. I was really challenged, I've been reading this book, it's great, it's great partly because look, it's only seven chapters long, two on friendship with Jesus, five on friendship more broadly, I'd recommend it. Drew Hunter is the author, it's called Made for Friendship. Um, he said this, churches often encourage community in general, but we forget about friendship in particular but we can be in community with hundreds, 
but we can only experience true friendship with a few. In truth, a church with deep community is most likely a place in which each person goes deep with a handful of others. These aren't isolated cliques, but overlapping networks of relationships. And he goes on to say, friendship is a central way in which we live out um, Christian love. He's not saying it's the only way, but he says, friendship is a central way in which we live out Christian love. Christian love expresses friendliness to all, but it enjoys friendship with a few. Right, Tim will be pleased with me because I'm finally getting to talking about loving one another. So Jesus said this, as I read already, verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And of course we know that Jesus prayed that they would be one, his people would be one. And he even said that the world would know that we were his disciples because we love one another. Now obviously, as we said, we can't all be close friends. Um, and we wanna be friendly and welcoming to everyone. But I just feel there's a real challenge. I mean, I don't mean to be funny, but you can go to a nice bowling club or the WI, and they're quite friendly, and they're quite welcoming. So what does it mean amongst the people of God that we love each other? Now, I do not claim to have all the answers, but here's a few things I've been thinking about. I think we choose to honor each other. We choose not to define each other on the basis of our worst moments, our worst decisions, our worst characteristics, (laughs) our worst habits. We choose to believe the best in each other. We bear with each other with patience. We avoid comparison. We don't want to fall into just judgment. We don't want to fall into jealousy. And particularly, brothers and sisters, I would say, we choose forgiveness. 70 times seven, time and time again. We're gonna fail each other. We're gonna let each other down. We're gonna irritate each other. We are. We are. So let's forgive. And so I just want to remind you, when you're grappling with trying to forgive someone, please remember again how Jesus has treated you. Hasn't he been so kind to us? Hasn't he been so patient, so gentle, so good as we've been singing this morning? Who are we to withhold that to others? Maybe go and read the parable again of the unforgiving servant and let your heart be challenged. I want to finish with a little story. I've, um, I love to garden and... Um, This summer, I've planted um, a new flower bed. It's really very ordinary looking. For anyone who cares, it's got like sedge and fern and dogwood and things like that planted. So it's kind of green stuff. There's no pretty amazing flowers and it's not eye-catching. But this is what I want you to understand about it. It's had a lot of things against it. First of all, the soil is really poor. Secondly, it's under a bunch of pine trees, so it's like it doesn't get any moisture, it's really um, shady. So all that is an unpromising start. And when we bought the garden, which part of our house, um, five years ago, there also was this unsightly sort of shed on top of it that actually contained a defunct um, pond filtering system. So first of all, that had to be pulled down. Then we found there were remnants of a wall made of breeze blocks, lovely. So then we spent quite a bit of time removing breeze blocks. A whole bed was covered with ivy. I really don't like ivy. I spent years, like literally at two years, working to, to get rid of this ivy. And then, can you believe it? Someone had planted bamboo. So once the ivy struggle was over, bamboo became my number one enemy. And I am still on that case. Um, 
this is starting to sound untrue, but it's true. Near to this bed, there is an aggressive, um, some aggressive beehives. Our neighbor keeps bees. And honestly, when I've been working on this bed, not only have I had the stings, but on so many occasions, I've just had to give up because these pesky bees have not let me, you know, not, not let it be. And my worst moment ever with this bed was the day when I think in my sandals, I was tackling the ivy, and under a stone, I found a snake. Yes, I did, in my garden on this bed. Okay, this summer, I decided I think it's now sufficiently weed-free that I can now plant. So I went out and bought these lovely plants, quite excited, started digging, planting holes, blow me, more rubble, huge concrete slabs, like just general household rubbish. I found the leg of a doll. Who puts that in their garden bed, I ask you? Anyway, suffice to say, it was back to the drawing board, more digging, and eventually, eventually, I have managed to plant these plants, water them in, put down some mulch, and it looks really ordinary, really ordinary. We've had lots of people through our garden, no one has commented. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's noticed it, because they've noticed the nice beds nearer the front with the flowers, okay? But my mum, my husband, they know. They've seen five years of sweat and tears. I don't know about blood, but sweat and tears. Okay, and they know. And my husband is loving enough that he will come for a turn of the garden and we will stop and we will admire our bed that's very ordinary. And we will say, isn't it beautiful? What a transformation. And I'm not even being sarcastic. I'm like, I really want to go and do that quite often. I'm just passionate about this bed. And if I wasn't slightly polite, when my visitors came, I would feel a need to drag them to the bottom of my garden, you have been warned, but I try to resist it, and I want to say to them, look, look at this. This is what I've done. This is where it was. Look at where it is now. We, we all know enough about parables that I hope I don't need to explain any of that. But suffice to say, it's very easy to stand at the front and say, isn't it marvelous to do life together? And once we start doing life together, we get quite close to each other. And you can find, can't you, that you are being quite irritated by the ivy in someone else's life. Your brother and sister next to you. You can find you're stubbing your toe on boulders that you did not know were there. And you can find that what looked quite pleasant at surface level, once you start digging, goodness gracious, what you might find. So we need to be aware of the fact that when we're with each other, we will rub each other up the wrong way. We will. But here's the thing. Can I encourage you, I've already have said, remember what Jesus has paid for that person. Remember that the Father is the gardener and he is so invested in them. And he loves them and you do not know what their walk has been like, and you do not know their history, and you do not know where they have come from, and who are we to disdain one another? Who are we to judge one another when we're called to love? And can I suggest that as we spend time, when we have our complaints, please can you bring them to the gardener, bring them to him, pour it out to him, not to the people around you. They don't need your poison, really, they don't. Bring it to him. But can I suggest that you linger? Because you know, you know what? Sorry. If you linger, you might just catch something of his whispers. 
you might just hear him say, look at her, isn't she beautiful? You might just hear him say, you've no idea with him, you've no idea where things were at. He's come so far and I'm so proud of him. And you might start to see that what the Lord is planting in their heart is so precious and of such value. We need him, band, can you come up? We need him, not just to model to us what friendship is like and what love is like, and hasn't he done that? But we need friendship with him in order to have the capacity and the resources to begin to see one another and the world beyond with his eyes of love and affection, with the passion of the gardener who's given of him very self for each one. We're running a little bit late, but do we have time for a response song? Great, yeah. Thank you, thank you for your patience. I would, um, before, I mean, I would really love us just to have a few moments to respond. We're gonna be responding with a new song. Um, maybe you could start playing, but just, I really felt before, just um, there's a few things that the Lord wants to minister into. First of all, I just felt there's some people here who have been relating to Jesus for a while and who know him as your master, but honestly, you haven't really pursued him as a friend and you haven't really given him room to befriend you. And I just feel the Lord wants to say that he wants to be your great friend your great friend. And so there's an invitation to come and step into greater measures of that. He's the one who says to his people, I stand at the door and knock. Will you open the door and I'll come in and dine with you? There's a savior who's a friend who wants to dine with you. I also felt the Lord saying really clearly that there's some of you where he's been doing a beautiful work in your life and actually, it's as if he's been putting bedding flowers in the bed of your life, planting season by season, and it's been really beautiful and really colorful, but it only lasts for a season. And I felt him say really distinctly that he has got more significant things that he wants to plant in your life. He's after different things and bigger things and things that will last, because he's a God who goes for fruit that endures things that last. And so, do you know what? To plant something other than bedding plants, which can cope with quite shallow roots, relatively speaking, to go for some big bushes, some big trees, some things of substance and significance in the kingdom of God, you need to start digging deep and goodness knows what you might find. Things might be looking quite tidy and actually, if you give him permission, he's gonna go deep. And he's, there's gonna be some boulders and some concrete and some stuff but you know what, he is the gardener and he is committed to you and he will be setting you free from these deep things. As you give him permission, he will do a deep work in your heart and it might look a bit of a mess short term, but it means that you can step into his planting. So I don't know, can we have a prayer ministry team over here? Uh, we're singing a new song, I believe. Please engage with that and we'd just love to encourage you to continue just meeting with him.